How you doing out there tonight? Amen. We're, we're in Matthew 24 and uh, working our way through that chapter and looking at more kingdom parables, looking at the signs of Jesus' coming. How many know that we serve a risen Christ who is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle? All right, for the rest of you not looking at me, let me say it again. We serve a risen Christ who's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, amen? Jesus is coming back, and the disciples asked him, what are the signs of your coming? And Jesus listed some of the signs of his coming here. Uh, we're going to read a few verses here, Matthew 24, and then we're going to jump in and unpack uh, some of the signs here that Jesus gave. Uh, these signs that we looked at, we looked at a few already, they're, they're things that are common in the earth. It's, uh, you know, things that are happening continually, and we noted that when you hear the list of these signs, you're going to think, well, these things are always happening. What's going to differentiate that normal process of what goes on in the world? And, and when Jesus is coming back, well, it's the intensity and, the, and the, you know, the duration of them and the fact that all of these things start happening all at once. And how many know God knows how to get people's attention? Um, let's just look, take a look here. We're going to start in verse 5. Uh, it says here, Matthew 24, verse 5, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and, I, and will mislead many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not the end, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and various places. And there will be, listen, famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginnings of the birth pang. So let's kind of stop right there. We covered verse 5 and we looked at these signs. Uh, we covered two of them. One were the, uh, the false Christs that were appearing. And we even noted as we were preaching through that that there are some people in the earth today who are claiming to be Jesus. There's some guy in Australia who says he's Jesus and, um, and, and his wife is co-Jesus with him. And, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's like crazy stuff. But we, you say, well, who in the world would ever fall for that? Well, the thing is, the, the very fact that the false Christs that are said to come are going to fool many means that they are going to up their level of sophistication so that they are more believable. You know, right now you might look and say, well, no, not too many people who are, you know, in their right mind are falling for this stuff. But it says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. So they're going to trick a lot of people. So that means their level of sophistication is going to increase. And we're going to see these people claim to be Jesus, claim to be the Messiah, claim to be, the, you know, Jesus coming back in a different form, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, we're looking for the increase of that. And we see that in the earth. Then, it, then we talked about the fact that there be wars and rumors of wars. Anybody know of any wars going on? I mean, there's wars going on constantly all the time. We noted that there was only, you know, a few hundred years of peace in recorded human history. I think, you know, America has been at war in one way or another since its inception, and there's only been a few breaks in that. 
you know, we, we have all these wars that we look at and what's going on in the Ukraine. Last time when we preached on this topic, we prayed for the Ukraine. I hope that you're praying still for them. The, uh, the conflict is, is still going on. It's still intense. It might have fallen out of the news cycle because people are bored with it. But, you know, we need to pray for these people. It's winter. It's cold. There's no food. There's no heat. There's no electricity. So wars and rumors of war, we learn that that's a constant, and we've always seen those things. We uh, talked about the very fact that there are nations out there who are opposed to the West, and we look at the rise of China, we look at Russia and its nuclear arsenal, we look at North Korea. There again, some of this stuff is so common, we don't even pay attention to it anymore. North Korea is testing intercontinental ballistic missiles. What does that mean? That means they, they can hit New York or California. And we just go, oh, you know, the price of gas. So this stuff is commonplace to us. It doesn't really shake us. It doesn't get our attention. And, and Jesus told us not to be afraid, but to trust that all these things have to come to pass. So th the next four signs are given to us in verse 7 and 8. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. And we're going to look at famines tonight, uh, the next sign that Jesus gives here uh, that, you know, it, he is coming. And you're going to find some interesting things about famine. I was kind of teasing with Pastor Mike. I said, when we're done preaching about famine, we'll all go to the diner and celebrate that we are not in famine. How many know it's a blessing to have food on your table? Amen. If you're not clapping your hands, we're going to lock you in a room for 30 days. I mean, I'm telling you, some of us don't know what it's like to have ever missed a meal. You know, ever not had any food. Some of us have been so blessed. You know, people in poverty, they, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. They, they don't have food to feed their children. And, you know, as we talk about famine here, it's just, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing. But verse 7 and 8 gives us a rapid-fire list here of Jesus' return and these signs. And, and the first thing it says you know, because of the threat of war and the conflicts that are all around and the fact that there's rumors of war, this is going to be so routine that the nations will be swallowed up in a complete lack of trust for each other. Now, you know, don't miss what it says here. It says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Right now, believe it or not, there's relative harmony in the earth. Because nations are not all against each other. The kingdoms are not all set against each other. It's not like every man for himself, but there's a, there's a little semblance of harmony in the earth. Jesus says, when I come back, that's going to be gone. That all of the wars and the rumors of war and, and, and you know, the, the stress among nations is going to swallow up whatever goodwill is there. And there'll be a complete lack of trust, a complete lack of peace, and a complete lack of cooperation between nations. Does that sound fun to anybody? No, it's not going to be fun, and it's going to get people's attention. Why? Because people look to the nations. They look to the superpowers. They look to the United Nations, you know, that organization that is so perverse and corrupt and hypocritical. But they look at this stuff, and, you know, they say, well, you know, we, we, have, we have this agreement, and we have these uh, uh, peace accords, and we have all these uh, deals that we've made, so we're going to take care of each other and be there for each other. That's going to dry up completely at some point, and nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Can you imagine what the earth will be like when there is a complete lack of trust, peace, and cooperation 
among the nations. We see the breakdown in, in, in this happening all around us. Um, you know, at our border, what's going on right now, that's going to climax to the point where, you know, it's unsustainable at some point. And nations are, there are actually nations that are emptying out their prisons and sending them to the United States. Think about that. And they're coming across the border. And we've caught Al-Qaeda. We've caught all kinds of insurgents. We've caught all kinds of people coming through. And they're just pouring right through. Unsustainable yet. What's that going to do, Pastor Rick? That's going to create tension between the nations at some point. And so, you know, look uh, for this breakdown that's going to come. Now, can you imagine when there's zero goodwill and zero trust? Everyone's angry. Everyone's suspicious of one another's motives, bedlam will ensue. And that's what Jesus is saying. There's going to be a breakdown in the national order. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In the days preceding the rise of the Antichrist, there will be national division, religious division, racial division on a scale that the world has never seen before. Did you hear that? Well, Pastor, it's really bad now. Listen, unfortunately, the world hasn't seen anything yet. And you say, well, why does it have to get worse? Because people are unmoved. Uh, people are not moving towards God. They're moving away towards God. They're not moving towards the church. They're moving to, towards more secular things. And, you know, all the bedlam that, you know, is going to ensue from this uh, with the nations being opposed to each other, it's going to create these divisions. Now, think about it when there's total national division, when there's, you know, the, the, the religious division where, you know, you've got all these religious conflicts in the Middle East and you've got... Uh, you know, divisions that are centuries old and the racial division that we see ramped up in, you know, in the world and even in our own nation, it's going to get worse. Now, you see, you, you drug me out here in the cold on a Wednesday night telling me it's got to get worse. That's why I almost laugh. I see people saying, oh, 2022 is almost over. 2023 is coming. It's going to be great. Have you been hitting the head with a blunt instrument? What makes you think it's going to be better? Because the year changed? Because the calendar changed? Because the date changed? Nothing's going to get better until people's hearts change. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to come to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and there's some things that aren't going to get better until he's in charge. So here we are, we've got kingdom conflict, we've got religious divisions, we've got racial divisions. I know for the, you know, the groups that think we're going to have heaven on earth and we're going to solve all of the world's problems and all this stuff, unfortunately the Bible says the exact opposite. It's going to unravel to the point where man loses control. Now, as bad as it seems now, it can be hard for us to imagine things getting worse. And the truth is they've got to get worse and they've got to get exceptionally worse exponentially worse. Why? It's like what Jesus said, you know, don't be afraid of the wars and the rumors of war. This stuff has to happen. Why does it have to happen? Because man's grip on mankind has to come to an end. And I want you to understand some things here. You know, why does this have to happen, Pastor Rick? Can't we just have love and harmony and peace? No, there's no peace without the Prince of Peace. And the more the world moves away from the Prince of Peace, the less peace and harmony we're going to have. Man has to repent from his wickedness and from his rebellion against God. That's the, the church has to repent 
of its lukewarmness. Come on, church. Even if you're lukewarm, try and smack your hands together. You know, we, we've got a church that could care less about the lost, about the sick, about the, the hurting. That lukewarmness, there, there has to be repentance. You know, so the world has to repent. The church has to repent of all the things that, you know, divide us and keep us from God. Uh, man's, uh, you know, lack of repentance and his stubbornness to race towards, you know, things that are the opposite of what God has to do, that's going to inflame the whole world, create an unrest and a vacuum that the Antichrist is going to fill. So as we look at these signs and you see Jesus giving them and the implications are that things are going to get worse and they're going to unravel, you want to know why. The reason why is because there has to be a vacuum created that the Antichrist can come in and fill. Otherwise, the world would never accept him and never let him take control. When the nations lose control, when the, the UN has no answers, when mankind is completely unable to solve the world's problems, we don't know how to get energy, we don't know how to you know, sustain our power grids, we don't know how to do any of those things, and no, no leadership, the Republicans and the Democrats and the, uh, whoever else, they can't do it. There, there's going to be a vacuum created when the world is hopeless and suspicious and worn out, and the enemy will swoop in and bring the Antichrist. So that's why these signs, you, you say, Pastor Rick, why couldn't it be happy, clappy signs? Jesus is coming, right? Jesus could be like, well, first there's going to be sunshine for three years, and then there's going to be rainbows and unicorns. Well, that doesn't create a vacuum for that one world leader that the book of Revelation talks about. But these, these things consistently getting worse and worse too. History has shown us that when... You know, all the, all the pressures and things of earth happen at one time when people are desperate, when they're war-torn, when they're hungry. People will give up their freedom, their sovereignty, and even their morality for someone to swoop in and save them. Are you alive out there? Okay. So understand what's happening and understand what's coming and don't think, oh, God, you've abandoned us. You've let us down. You've forgotten about us. No, he hasn't forgotten about the church. He hasn't forgotten about his children. He's judging the wicked. And he's well able to sustain and to bless the righteous while he does it. So remember we said prophecy was multidimensional when we started uh, talking here in Matthew 24 because there's a lot of prophetic fulfillments here. Uh, these prophetic things that Jesus is speaking are the fulfillments that will be signs of his coming. And we said prophecy is multidimensional. God's done things like this before to stiff-necked nations. You say, is there any, you know, is there any pattern? Yeah, God has always judged the wicked and he's used, uh, you know, many different uh, ways of doing it, but he has done it before. Now, it's not on a scale like it will be in the end times, but under Understand, God has done this before. Now listen to this, Isaiah 19:2. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. What, what's going on here? God's judging the Egyptians. How's he doing it? He's turning them against each other. Listen. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight everyone against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, 
kingdom against kingdom. How does judge, God judge nations? He creates turmoil and division within them. What do we see in the nations right now? What do we see in our own nation right now? Turmoil and division. God has done it before. God is doing it again. How about Ezekiel 14, 21? For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem? What's going on here? God's judging his own people. He's judging the city of Jerusalem. He says, how much more when I send my four sword judgments? Does that sound fun? Sword judgments. I, I, don't, I don't know what those judgments are. I'd have to study what Ezekiel's putting out here, but it doesn't sound fun. He said, upon Jerusalem, the sword and famine and noisome beast and pestilence to cut off man and beast. So look, here's God's judgment on Jerusalem. He's using some mechanisms here to what? Cut off man and beast. What did God do with the flood when he had had it with mankind and his wickedness and his waywardness? He said, Noah, build yourself an ark and I'm just saving you and your family and that's it. And I'm drowning everything out. Wow. God started over because man was so stubborn and wicked. So God has a pattern of dealing with man like this, dealing with nations like this. He's done it before. He's doing it again. Yet the end times, are, are everything that we've seen up till now is going to pale in comparison to what God does in the end times. It's not the time to be away from God. It's time to be close to God. It's not the time to be half in the world and half out of the world. It's time to be in, right up next to Jesus, listening for every word that comes from his mouth. Amen. It's time for the church to be the church. Now, the nations of this world will only be able to thumb their noses at God for so long before God sends judgment. Why does God do that? Does he, you know, does he get angry as a short fuse? He's, you know, he's, he's irritable? No, God sends judgment so that people will repent. Even in God's judgment, you know, even when judgment is punishment, even when judgment brings destruction, God's hope is that people will repent and come to him. Remember, this is the same God that's not willing that any should perish. So God will judge the nations. God will judge the wicked when they thumb their nose at him. They can't do it forever. Calamity will come. When God's judgment comes in the form of punishment, it will be a wake-up call to the nations. Listen to Ezekiel 7, 8 through 9. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is what God says in Ezekiel. He says, soon now I will pour out my rage on you. I will fully vent my anger against you. I will judge you according to your behavior. I will hold you accountable for all your abominable practices. My eye will not pity you. I will not spare you for your behavior. I will hold you accountable and you will suffer the consequences of your abominable practices. Then you will know that is I, the Lord, who is striking you. Wow. That, thank God we're not in the Old Testament anymore. This was God talking to his children, his people. Pretty sobering, right? I don't know about you, but, you know, if you were a little kid and your father came in and gave you this Ezekiel 7 verse here, I will not spare you for your behavior. I will hold you accountable and you will suffer the consequences of your abominable. Ah. Wow. 
So God has judged the nations. God has judged the wicked. God has judged his own people uh, for their idolatry and all of these things. We look in the Old Testament. God's done these things before. We should be praying for both the world and a church that just doesn't get it, that God is a holy God. And that judgment is inevitable for those who rebel against God. We should be praying about these things. We shouldn't be afraid. Amen, like three people and the rest of everybody. Well, I mean, Pastor, you know, wars and rumors of wars and all these things. Well, we shouldn't be afraid, but, uh, you know, fear is a response that mankind takes. Just understand, uh, the closer we are to God and if we stay right with him, we have nothing to be afraid of. Yet there are wayward people in the church and there are wayward people in the world and we should be praying for them. When we do the things God asks us to do, uh, you know, we, we're blessed. It's so simple to, to serve God. We just do what he asks us to do. And when we mess up, we confess. When we sin, we run to him, not from him, amen? Amen. There's not one of us in here that doesn't sin. Oh, pastor, I sinned. You know, God's going to get me now. No, he's a gracious God, a merciful God. He only pours out judgment like described in Ezekiel when people just refuse to repent. So, you know, there's a little terror here for those who uh, are stiff-necked, but for the righteous, we stay close to God and we stay close to Jesus. Now, Many people conclude, you know, because they're living in such a way and they're doing their thing and, you know, God doesn't step in and smack them right away or straighten them out, that many people foolishly conclude that, well, God's all right with the way we're doing things. And the truth is that, you know, the world thinks it's all fine and dandy. There's no accountability. They have no one to answer to. They can do whatever they want. You know, there's no one to hold them accountable. And that's a foolish conclusion You know, God is watching. God notices everything that's going on. Sin is still sin, and the wages of sin are still death. So we've got to be a praying church, amen. I believe that's why Jesus said that the church needs to be a house of prayer, because we've got a lot to pray about in in these days here about what's going on in our nation, in the nations of the world, what's going on in the church, what's going on in the generation. Now, verse 7 lists uh, these three signs here, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. So I I said we were going to look at famine. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to jump right into that. Famine is something that in the West here, we really don't get a taste of. And it's like I said in my comments when I started, most of us have never really missed a meal. A lot of us, you know, and and that's the blessing of God. And if that's the case, then praise God. He takes care of us. He supplies us. uh, He gives us food to eat. That's wonderful. But famine is when there is just not enough food to feed the population. Our greatest thing is not are we going to eat? It's what are we going to eat? Come on, Americans. Right? What do we do? You know, we, we, are we going to do this tonight? Are we going to eat out tonight? Are we going to have Italian? Are we going to have Chinese? Are we, you know, we, it's not like, are we going to have food to eat tonight? It's what do we want to eat? Famine is when there's nothing to eat and, and there's not enough food to feed the population and you don't get to choose. If there's anything to eat, you eat it until it's gone. Famine is a very serious situation. And if you've ever been hungry before, uh, you know, it'll really get your attention. How many people have fasted for any length of time? You know, your body starts 
first of all, it starts making some interesting noises, right? It's a, there's, there's somebody in there and they're mad, you know, and then, you know, your body goes through these phases where you're, you're really hungry, you're really, you're thirsty, you need food, then, then you get to a place where, you know, you don't need it, and you, your body kind of goes into like, you know, it kind of treads water, and there, if you fasted for a long time, you know, you know there, there are serious things that happen, but, you know, you can, in a healthy fast, you drink water, you go, and at a certain point, you do eat again. When you are in this situation where it's a forced fast because there is no food and, and you know, you're not hydrated and you don't have enough food in your body, uh, it is a very painful attention grabber. Empty bellies, you know, em empty bellies will get people's attention. Maybe in a way that, maybe that's the only thing that will get our attention in America. 9-11 didn't do it. All our crises that we're going through now haven't done it. But famine's an interesting thing. They say starvation is a very painful way to die. So what causes famines? Well, wars cause famines. You know, right now, there should be wheat that should be planted in the Ukraine, that should be planted in Russia. There should be all these crops and all this food that should, you know, Ukraine is the breadbasket of the European and African theater there. And there's, there's you know, there, there's a serious shortage of these things now. So there are some impending famines coming. There's food supply shortages and, you know, war causes them, drought causes them. Insects cause them. You know, uh, you know, we are so modern and so civilized that we don't realize that back in the day, people were dependent on a crop that they put seed in the dirt and the crop came up. If the crop didn't come up, you didn't have food. We just go buy it somewhere else. We get it somewhere else. We get it shipped in from another place. But, you know, insects, floods, heat, crop failure by disease, fuel shortages, fertilizer shortages, all of these things can devastate food supplies. Strangely enough, we've got this stuff going on in the earth right now. And, you know, it's going on there in Ukraine, like I've mentioned, and there are some impending food shortages that are on the horizon. How do famines play out? Well, you know, first, there's not enough food to feed the population. And then, you, you know, so basically the price of food skyrockets. You know, it's supply and demand. How many have noticed at the grocery store right now, things are a lot more expensive than they, they used to be? Eggs are $8? Wow. You know, that's why we got chickens. So <laughs> you know, I heard about some of this stuff coming and, you know, try to get a little bit ahead of the curve here, but things are, things are expensive. When my wife tells me, you know, I spent 100 bucks and you got two bags. One bag? Well, you know, you got to get coupons, girl. I don't know what you... But, you know, thing, things are expensive. So what happens when there's famine, when there's a shortage of food? The price of sustenance skyrockets. We've seen, they say the f food prices have risen up to 40% on certain items. And, and certain foods are just not available. I hear stories about people, they, they pick up an item and they look at it, it's so expensive, you, you know, you, they put it back down on the shelf. Well, we're not going to eat that. We're going to, you know, we're, we're not having steak. We're having rice and beans. And we're, you know, we're, we just, we can't afford it. And, and you got senior citizens who have to choose whether they're going to eat or they're going to buy their medicine or, or put oil in the tank. 
you know, these signs here that we're talking about, we're not too far removed from the fact that, you know, it's getting to a point where it's pretty serious. You know, and we pray and we ask for God's mercy, but some of this stuff has to come to get man's attention. So, you know, the crop failures happen, the food supplies, and now all of a sudden the price of food skyrockets and people can't afford it. In Revelation 6, 5 through 6, uh, the scripture gives a picture of the seal judgments when the seals are broken. And listen to one of the seal judgment here. It, it affects the food supply. Revelation 6, 5 through 6. When the lamb opened the third seal, say third. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard the sound like a voice of among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So here in the book of Revelation, when the judgments are being poured out and the seals are being broken, the, you know, the rider on that dark horse is going to have those scales. There's going to be uh, famine. There's going to be pestilence, all these things. And the, what's the result here? A quart of wheat for a day's wages. A quart. You work all day. What does that mean? You get enough food just to live another day. And, and then it says here, uh, for a day that, you know, three quarts of barley for a day's wages. So, you know, right, right there you're seeing that now because there's famine, it's, assist, it's subsistence living. People can only make enough, only afford enough to just barely squeak by. Hungry bellies get man's attention. What happens in famine? There's not enough food. What happens, in, the first thing is that the prices skyrocket. Then what's the next thing that happens well the next thing that happens is after this if this is not resolved quickly it leads to mass malnutrition people especially poor people and children will show the impact of famine in their bodies there'll be visible signs of malnutrition and it's hard to look at if we've seen all of us have seen those pictures of starving children from places all around the world has everybody seen that stuff where you see kids where their, their eyes are bulged, their, their bellies are distended. Have you seen this? And their, their limbs just are, are, are bones, and their elbows look like a knot in a rope. It's just, it's hard to look at. They show us pictures of these things on TV, and, and they, they collect money, and people give. Why? Because it gets your attention. That's the byproduct of famine. When there's not enough food, the price skyrockets. The next thing is that there's malnutrition among the population. And we, we see uh, what it looks like. It adversely affects the poor. It adversely affects children. Now, the third thing that happens in famine is if famine comes and it's unresolved and it's sustained and people are malnourished, eventually there'll be mass starvation and death. You know, and many of us tonight, you know, are thinking, oh, this doesn't happen in our world anymore. There's food everywhere. We still have famines going on. I'm going to cover this in just a minute. But there's some going on in the earth right now. And people are starving to death. Children are starving to death. It's hard for us in the West to think that famine still kills people, but it does. Famine in the modern times is more common than we think. It's happening right now in Africa and the Middle East. Famines have been happening throughout recorded history. Just as continually as war is happening, 
famines happen. Uh, let me just list you some of them that happened, you know, you know, in the last little bit here. In 1998, there were a, a famine in Afghanistan, killed hundreds of people. In 1998 to 2004, listen to this, 2.7 million people died in the Congo. Many of us, you know, it was in the news then, but many of us don't remember this or don't. Can you imagine 2.7 million people starved to death in our modern times? 2005, uh, 200,000 were dead in Darfur. How, how many remember the famine in Darfur? Anybody remember that? I, that name stuck in my head. Pastor Mike, that ring a bell? No. It's, it's in, uh, you know, a place in Africa. 2011, in Somalia, uh, 285,000 people died as a result of a famine. 2016 to the present, 85,000 children and an undetermined amount of adults have starved to death by famine in Yemen. Presently, we have two famines happening right now, one in Ethiopia and one in Madagascar. And with the wars that we have and the food supplies being affected, the truth is there's going to be more. And Jesus said, this is one of the signs that, you know, I'm coming back. When these famines get really big, when these things begin to happen exponentially and there's more of them and it's happening everywhere and everybody's hungry and there's no food and, you know, the crops have failed and whatever. You know, you you see the book of Revelation, how the wages go up and the prices go up and there's no food for people to eat. Now, let's look at what the believer's response should be to famine. You know, you and I should be moved by these things. They put the pictures on the TV, and, you know, I think a lot of people want to change the channel real quick because they they don't want to look at it. But the church should have a particular response to famine, and I conclude with this. Uh, So we'll be going another three hours, but I conclude with this. We should never be excited about famines. And you say, Pastor, why would you even say that? Because some people say, oh, it's a sign of the times. Oh, boy, Jesus is coming back. He said there'd be famines. We, you know, and I've seen people get excited about some of the signs. But listen, as, as the children of God, as the people of God, we should never be excited about famine. Even if it is a sign of his coming, we should be sober, we should be prayerful, but we shouldn't get excited. Oh, it's a sign of the times. How exciting. Not really if it's your belly that's empty. Not really if it's your children that are starving. When people are faced with starvation, that's not the time to get excited. It's the time to get prayerful and sober and to do something to help them. Do we have God's heart for the nations? Does the church in the West have God's heart for the nation? Do we really care about the lost and and those people that, you know, are touched by the signs, touched by the judgment, We've got to have God's heart for the nations. Are we praying for those who worship false gods and serve demonic idols and persecute the church? All of these things bring judgment on the land. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When a nation worships God, God blesses that nation and God supplies that nation. And and famine doesn't touch that nation. 
But there are nations that don't worship God and they worship idols and demonic things and false gods and false religious systems. And unfortunately, the enemy gets in there because God can't bless such things and he attacks them and he brings pestilence and famine and all these things that bring death and destruction. And even though it's a sign that Jesus listed, we shouldn't get excited about it. Number two, what should our response be? We shouldn't quickly bill famines as God's judgment on the wicked. You know, a lot of times Christians say things at the wrong time and they drive people away from God instead of to God. Oh, well, you know, the reason that you, your nation's suffering is because, you know, you worship this, blah, 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 and, you know, and it's God's judgment on you. It's real quiet. We should be very careful about pronouncing what God's judgment is. We, we should be careful about it. Well, I'm pretty sure it looks like it, you know, and this is an X, Y, and Z. But you know what? People who are being judged don't need to be told they're being judged. So we got to be careful. I've seen Christian leaders, you know, say things at times that may even be right. It might, it might be true what they're saying, but it's only succeeded in driving more people away from Jesus than to him. That natural disaster, you know, when we had, you know, the, the natural disasters and the floodings and, and all of these places, people said, well, that was God's judgment on New Orleans for homosexuality. There was Christian leaders who came out and said that. And you know what? It didn't bring anybody to Jesus. It made, the, it made Christian people look foolish because people are being judged, don't need to be told. You're being judged by God. That's not the way to bring them to God. So even if it's true, even if you think it's right, maybe we should just be quiet at times. I've heard people say when I, when I was a new Christian in the 80s, AIDS is God's judgment against the homosexuals. This earthquake was ju judgment against this Islamic nation and all these things, and it never, ever brought people to Christ. You know what? I think, I think Christians who like to say everything is God's judgment, even if it is, uh, this, this is my thought on the whole thing. Uh, do us all a favor if you think you can accurately link God's judgment to an event. Do it prophetically before the event happens, okay? If you know the mind of God and you know God's judgment, then before it happens, you say it's coming, okay? Do us all a favor. You know, it'd be like someone marches into D.C. and declares that God's judgment is coming in the form of a meteor strike for a particular sin on a particular day. Boom, and it happens. That'll get a nation's attention. But if you didn't hear beforehand, we don't want to hear your armchair quarterback judgment because that doesn't bring anybody to Jesus. Maybe some of these things were God's judgment, but it's not our job to tell people they're being judged. It's our job to preach people the gospel and to love them. Amen. So number three, the third part of a believer's response to judgment, to famines is this. We shouldn't be excited about famines. We shouldn't build them as God's judgment against the wicked. Uh, we should not be indifferent to people who are in famine, but we should extend love and help to them. And you say, well, you know, if God's judging them, Pastor, why should we help them? Well, because Jesus said, love your enemies. You know, think about that. 
think about Jonah with Nineveh. God wanted to, you know, bring the prophet to them, and he wanted them to repent so he didn't have to destroy them. You remember, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He wanted God to destroy them. The Ninevites were wicked. If I told you some of the things that they did and what they did to Israel, you'd understand why Jonah was having such a hard time. But God loves people. And even when he judges them, he doesn't expect the church to pile on, but he expects the church to roll up their sleeves and to help and to love. Why would we feed people who are being judged? Because it shows the love of Christ. It's loving our enemies. And if you have any doubt that that's what we're supposed to do, I want to read Matthew uh, 25, 34 through 40. And when I'm done, you should have no doubt. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen what Jesus says. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. God wants us to love people even if they're in the midst of being judged. And he wants us to be the hands and arms of Jesus extended, the hands and feet of Jesus extended to a hurting world. People who are being judged don't need to be told they're being judged. They need to be loved. So one of the signs that we're going to see are famines. We've got famines going on in the earth. There's all kinds of problems with our food supply right now. You and I should be praying for a world that's not only going to have hungry bellies for food, but a world that needs to be hungry for the truth of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I thank you tonight for this study. I thank you tonight uh, that... You gave us signs of your coming. And Father, even though we see these things happening in the earth, we realize when they're all happening simultaneously and they're all happening at a, at a faster rate and the tempo of things pick up, that it's going to be an indicator that your return is soon. So Father, wake up your church. Wake up the bride. Help us, Lord, to be active and useful, preaching the gospel, praying, loving people, extending grace to people who need it. Lord God, help us to have oil in our lamps, to be passionate about you, and to be looking for your coming. I ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Let's give him praise tonight.